Junkies, it is time for the SLS cast with your hosts Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 127 of the SLS cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it is the dismemberment episode of the SLS cast because. The wonderful movie where the hiker dude cuts off his own arm because it's pinned in a boulder is named 127 Hours. That's all I have for this week. I'm, you know, I just wasn't feeling it as much. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I let you down there. But it's still a number thing. You do know that that actually happened. Yes, yes. It's based it, off it a is true based story. on a true story. So about again, James it, Franco. Know, it, so it can still be a dismemberment episode. That's fine. You know. But of course, <laughs> I am Matt, bringing you this wonderful, uh, based on a true story knowledge. And 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 as was has already pointed out, who is here? It is of course the ever intrepid man coming to us from the sewing room where they made the original pockets for Sony's. Pocketable radios that were mentioned a few episodes back. It is, of course, the Intrepid Man. Yep, yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna that's gonna be name. my on my nameplate at work. <laughs> the Intrepid Man. They already call well, me the Keymaster, so this will be a, a step up, I think. <laughs> nice, but uh, what what what's your name, Intrepid Man? Tim. Awesome. Some people call me Tim. Really? No. Monty Python. Oh yeah, yeah. If you, yeah, if you okay. got that, maybe. Yeah, sorry. I'm, I'm, I am definitely not all here. I have uh, been on a very weird schedule with packing and moving and uh, getting stuff ready to go, and uh, my sleep schedule is all jacked up. And I woke up about forty-five minutes ago just so that <laughs> I could record the show. Are, are you all packed? I mean, you guys are moving in a couple days. Uh, we're pr- basically just down to the kitchen. Down to the kitchen. Yep. yep, down to the kitchen, and then of course the electronics, because you know that's going to be the less. It's got to be the last thing you go, so I can't really do anything about that till Wednesday. See, the kitchen is usually the always the last room you want to pack up, because it's like the most shit is in the kitchen. It seems like. Well, to Jen's credit, she actually um, downsized the kitchen about a week ago, so we got it down to like two pots, two pans. Basic cooking utensils that are used frequently. Um, silverware. I mean, she even went and packed like the plates, the cups, and everything, and just went down to Walmart and bought <laughs> disposable plates, you know, and and everything, forks, spoons, so that uh, we wouldn't have to worry about that. Yeah, moving is never fun. I mean, have you ever had fun moving? No, I hate moving. I I I, I my parents dragged me all around the goddamn country. I moved um, something like 17 times before I was 20. Hot damn, so, man. Yeah, wow. I, so I don't like moving at all. I, I absolutely abhor it. Uh, so, you know, what, what, whatever. Got it. You know, so we got to do it. But, um, no, I, I am, however, a nice friend, and uh, I'll help people move if they need it. I work for pizza and beer. I'm pretty... Uh, pretty cheap in that regard. Only in that regard? Yeah, pretty much only in that regard. <laughs> <laughs> only when it comes to lovemaking. 
no. Well, that's why you have like 50 kids, right? Well, how does that make me cheap in lovemaking? If anything, I, I would I would hope that would make me like somewhat desirable because if I am able to procreate more than the one time, well, you could I, I mean you could be cheap on right. the condoms, you know. I'm gonna go with the Durex this time. <laughs> what do you mean you can't turn them inside out? <laughs> I want it ribbed for my pleasure. <laughs> exactly. Ooh. So how's your week been, sir? Good, good, good. I uh, saw the Houston Astros beat the Anaheim Angels on Saturday, which was fun. And yesterday we went to the Getty, which is a really cool museum, and they had a collection. Of Turner's, J.W. Turner's paintings over here from London. So, uh, you know, we, we watched that movie, Mr. Turner, and all the painting that took place within that movie, which is like the last 15, 20 years of Turner's life, those paintings were at the Getty. And it was just really cool to see it in person and very close. So, are you an art guy? I, I am. Do you like art? My, my problem, my problem, though, is... And look, I I fully appreciate, I really and truly do fully appreciate art. That art is available to be enjoyed in all of its forms. But I can't seem to get around. It's kind of like high fashion. I realize that there's a purpose to it. But that doesn't mean I have to like it. Is there a purpose to it? There Apparently there really is. I, I, like people that wear like cones and shit. Yeah, I, I I am told apparently that uh, this is a. I'm told it's an important thing. No, I know what you mean. They uh, at the one of the exhibits there, at the Getty, they had somebody. They had people that developed photographs, like developed this film. Uh, that you know, some of these photographs were taken in the 70s, early 1900s, even to the mid to from the mid to late 1800s. And what they did is that whenever they would develop the pictures. They would do it in a different way, so so it would like come out like distorted, or they would develop the film onto paper, and so like they were able to like manipulate the picture and do cool things. But with saying that, I couldn't help but wonder: should we be praising the photographer, or should we be praising the person who is manipulating the photograph? Like, what 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 is considered the artwork? Well, usually in that. In, in photography, isn't that typically the same person? So the photos that were taken in 1850, the person that was uh, that developed the picture and did whatever with the picture did this like 10 years ago. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. I so who's the artist? I thought you were still fiddling with, you know, dogger type and all that kind of stuff. So. No, 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 no. Okay. So I, I just can't help but scratch my head and wonder like, yeah, these pictures are awesome and... You know, I, there's definitely talent there, but I would think the true artist and the one that should also be getting a top credit would be the person that actually took the picture that you were manipulating. But it's like somebody that, uh, like Criterion or a movie studio that takes an old movie and cleans that movie up. You know, I mean, you could be, or, or even like uh, make uh, they make a 2D movie into 3D movie a 3d movie or they can change the coloring or do or modify it in some way well the art is still the original film it's the person who made the original movie not the person who altered the work to create something else 
okay, I would say in that the if, in that instance, if you alter an original work so that it is no longer either a recognizable as the intended work or b um, cannot be in any way, shape, or form related to the intended work, then yes, you you should be able to at that point call it your own. I mean, it's it's um, like for example, a lot of the DJs and stuff that are out there, and and um, people who are really popular and make a lot of money doing all the stuff, uh, Dead Malice and stuff like that. Um, you have these guys take a lot of times they take other people's music and then twist it and change it in such a fashion that it's nothing it is nowhere near what it was originally and it becomes its own unique song and its own unique work of art and so do you credit do you credit dead mouse for that or do you credit michael jackson who he might have the first riff in in the song that you're hearing well, I think it also depends on how they use the sampling. I, I personally think sampling is a is a cop out because they're taking. Well, I mean, not everybody. I mean, Dead Mouse or Moss or blah, uh, is one thing. <laughs> Dead Mouse Five. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. But like a, a Giorgio uh, Marauder, famous in the '80s and still uh, known now, and you know, is still creating great music now. They don't sample songs for every one of their songs, and they're able to create a hook within their songs without having to rely on the sample that they took from, like, a Michael Jackson song, you know? And that's what kind of pisses me off about modern dance music or people that are DJs is because they take the hook from a song and put it in their song, and therefore they make that hook their hook, and they still don't credit uh, the per- or they they get all the credit for doing the sampling and incorporating that hook into their song. So, well, what about people like Madon, Bernie Madoff? What'd you say? No, <laughs> people like uh, Madon who have who or or Maddion, I guess would could also be you who literally makes a song that is one hundred percent samples, but. It's been completely remashed and mixed. Here, let me just listen. I'll play like eight. Se- I'll play five seconds, so it doesn't. And so, because apparently, if you're under eight seconds, it's less. There's no copyright, but like, so you have like this, you know. So oh, we've got oh, like see 27 different kinds of music going on right now, you know, and, but it makes its own completely unique song. It is a, I mean, and more importantly, this, this particular video I'm looking at on YouTube is literally just him punching the mashup keys as he's playing live and he gets 29 million hits, uh, you know. Well, like so, I said, it just depends on how you use the music. You know, like if, if if you have a song where it's just, you know, the beat's going and then you throw in, you know, a, a Michael Jackson sample and, you know, and, and like you're making millions of dollars because you're hooking the person on that music with that one sample, then that's what the problem is. But if you're actually creating a piece of work and it sounds unique, which a lot of pot, like super popular top 20 stuff or top 40 songs are not unique 
you know, then that's cool. Like I, I'm familiar. I don't know who that person was that you were that you played, but I'm familiar with people with musicians that do make music like that, and I do enjoy it totally. But it's not like one specific hook. They're actually creating their own, you know, their own sound. Granted, all that stuff kind of sounds the same to me, but. It's still a little bit better than relying on one hook from a popular song or two hooks from a popular song. All right. So, I guess should we go ahead and do like some real movie news? Yes. <laughs> All right, folks. Here we go. It is the news. <laughs> First up for me is a little bit of a it's, a, it's it's just kind of a little heartwarming story. It comes to us uh, from MSN.com via E Online via Francesca Bacardi. Ryan Gosling finally eats his cereal in honor of meme maker Ryan McHenry. Yes, Ryan Gosling finally decided to eat his cereal, you guys. The Notebook actor posted a video to Vine Monday uh, that paid tribute to Ryan McHenry, the film maker who originally created the Ryan Gosling Won't Eat His Cereal video. Uh, unfortunately, McHenry died Sunday after a two-year battle with cancer. So Gosling poured himself a bowl of cornflakes, raised a spoonful in McHenry's honor, and chomped down on his cereal. Now, the, if, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this. You can definitely look it up on YouTube or Vine, because there's now Vine compilations available on YouTube, naturally. Um, which, I don't know, doesn't that defeat the purpose of Vine, if you're just going to put it all in a compilation and then watch it but whatever um and it's really clever so this guy basically takes various forms of cereal because naturally it's a compilation so you know you only got six seconds to work with and he always is like moving the cereal slowly towards the screen where he is watching some Ryan Gosling movie and then just before the spoon would touch the screen where his mouth is on the screen he turns his head or he opens his mouth and s to say something that would, you know, uh, make it impossible to eat his cereal. And he called these little vines, Ryan Gosling won't eat his cereal. Um, they're very clever. Uh, I was definitely impressed. I had not, uh, to be fair, I had not heard of this. But um, clearly it had made uh, enough of an impression on both con uh, the public consciousness as well as Ryan Gosling. That it netted this response, which is basically just, uh, you know, cereal bowl with some cereal. You know, the cornflakes get tossed in, then the next shot, milk, and then Ryan Gosling just holding up his spoon of cornflakes. And he actually manages to put the cornflakes into his mouth. Um, it's it's definitely a nice little tribute. And, and if you're not familiar with it, the again, Vine compilations on YouTube, I would definitely check it out. And you can catch the Vine of Ryan Gosling as well. All right, sir, what do you got for us? All right, so a surprise box office hit uh, of 2015 was Kingsman, The Secret Service. In fact, you can still find it at your local multiplex, probably. You can even probably find it at your dollar theater. Actually, do dollar theaters even exist anymore? I don't think they're one dollar. There's one that's over off of nineteen sixty and Veterans Memorial. Uh-huh. And it's still the the second runs whatever, second life of theater runs. And I wanna say it's like a dollar fifty. Uh and this is according to an article 
that was published on Deadline.com on April 29th of this year. So it's uh, it's a couple weeks old, so I'm sure this movie made more than just a little over $400 million for sure. But a lot of people are wondering, how did it do so well? Especially when it opened up against Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, I mean, you can even say, like, well, the ladies went to go see Fifty Shades, and the men went to go see Kingsman. Not quite. In fact, this movie appealed to a lot more people than just your 18 to 30-year-old males, which I believe was just, like, the demographic that they were trying to aim for. But according to this Deadline article again, it says this, quote... Kingsman crossed the $400 million mark Sunday after bowing on January 30th in the UK, with gradual foreign market rollouts ultimately going in 39 markets during the same frame as its February 13th US release date at $401.1 million worldwide, Kingsman has made close to five times its reported $81 million production budget. Fifty Shades would rule the U.S. box office at $85.2 million at opening weekend, with Kingsman owning second place with $36.2 million. But Fifty Shades, which was front-loaded by its femme fans during Valentine's Day weekend, plummeted out of the top five by its fourth weekend and out of the top ten two frames later. Kingsman stuck around in the top five for six weekends and remained in the top ten for eight Although the pick earned a B-plus cinema score, Kingsman outperformed the 3.2 times average that comes with the rating. Its current stateside cum of $126.6 million being 3.5 times its bow. While Fifty Shades obviously attracted the bulk of estrogen crowds with 78%, Kingsman played Beyond Guys, with 43% of the crowd composed of women. That figure moved up to 45% by Weekend 2. And there's more to this article here that you can go and, and read about. And it talks more about the marketing, how 20th Century Fox uh, drummed up the marketing for the film, really pushing uh, Sam Jackson and Colin Firth being in the film though it focused on the uh, young male lead more so than Sam Jack and Colin Firth. Uh, so it's it's very interesting. I mean, it's fun to, it's cool to think that though though Matt and I really didn't care for the movie all too much, uh, in fact, I think Matt pretty close to hated it, I think, but a lot of people really, really liked it. So I hope theaters take more chances with movies. Uh, it's good to hear that movies that were gonna like uh, on paper it was forecasted to do poorly actually turns out to do pretty well and and it's nice it kind of gives you a little bit more hope in the in the movie making financial system it's a bit of a double-edged sword in my opinion and the reason why i say that is because while i agree that it having done as well as it did will bring more original ip um or at least <clears throat> not as standard comic booky fare and everything as we've been seeing for the for the most part. I think that when a movie as terrible as Kingsman makes that much money, you're just going to see more terrible movies. What I thought was particularly interesting is the release date 
because January and February for these kind of mo- or uh, for movies in general uh, is usually when you release the crappier movies because you know all the Oscar movies come later on, all the summer blockbust blockbusters come in May. Uh, so January and February are usually reserved for movies that aren't projected to do well whatsoever. But 20th Century Fox and the company, everybody else behind Kingsman, wanted it to come out in February because of how it timed out to various holidays uh, in China. When it was released in China, they tried to uh, schedule it so it was it was released around Chinese New Year. Um, and also they talk about in this article... Uh, the marketing, the the I guess the branding of the movie, of how they wanted to really play off the you know classic British spy genre, along with more of like the American heavy guns and testosterone. Uh, I guess it's not really a genre, but tone maybe I don't know, but it, it's just interesting. Yeah, I mean I definitely agree with you that it, it's definitely a double edged sword, but. Also, if this movie had a little bit better of a budget, or if maybe more people, or this will help more of the people on top of the company, who will have a little bit more creative freedom, and would actually be able to uh, monitor the film more, then, you know, maybe instead of a movie that would come out that has a really cool premise, and it being a letdown, maybe it'll actually be kind of good, because more people will be involved with overseeing the movie. Um, I don't know. So it's just interesting. Cool. All right. A quick pair of notes here and stories from uh, the world of Disney, because, you know, Disney now owns a portion of the world's air that is breathed. So naturally everything kind of revolves around that. Um, First up, VanityFair.com by way of Joanna Robinson Lucasfilm president finally confirms Indiana Jones' sequel is on the horizon. Yes, Kathleen Kennedy sees Indy in her future, but he needs a story first. So they are now officially saying, yes, there's going to be one coming. They're still piecing the story together and all that good stuff. More info to come, but blah. So um, I don't know. I think the trilogy was fine. Let's see here. And yes, I said that on purpose. The trilogy was fine then from marvel.com uh by way of mark strom martin freeman joins marvel's captain america civil war that's right you heard it here folks freeman and of course marvel.com freeman joins the battle between captain america and iron man in 2016 And that's really all they say. They just go over, you know, how happy they are to have him and everything. No character names or anything like that. Just that he's now on board. What else you got there, sir? All right. Before I hit up my somewhat lengthier-ish article, not really lengthy, I'm just going to mention a couple things about Brad Bird. Um, So people have been speculating what his next movie will be. Could it have been Star Wars? Maybe. But it's not. No, no, no. It looks like he's going to return to the world of Pixar and actually develop the sequel to one of, I I think, maybe his best film, The Incredibles. Not only is he going to be writing the movie, but he will be directing it. When he was asked if The Incredibles 2 would be his next project, his response was, quote, Yeah, it feels like it to me. Yeah. End quote. 
Another bit of Brad Bird news here. A lot of people are wondering, why hasn't the Iron Giant... Uh, I take that back. Iron Giant is my all-time favorite Brad Bird movie. Why hasn't Warner Brothers given that movie the special treatment and love that it deserves? Because the movie has been out for 16 years now, and yet there has yet to be a Blu-ray release or anything like that. And I was talking, I think I talked about it on the show uh, some weeks back, a couple months back actually, where uh, Brad Bird wanted to release a 15th anniversary Blu-ray, but Warner Brothers wanted to release a bare-bones Blu-ray, which would have meant there would have been no commentary, there would have been no behind-the-scenes documentary or anything like that, and Brad Bird would not have it. Well, he confirmed that there is something happening with the Iron Giant. This is from Collider.com. This little article's call is entitled, Is the Iron Giant Going to Be Re-Released in Theaters? And he says this, Listen, Warner Brothers and I have danced on and off for the last decade. There was going to be a five-year thing. There was talk about it being in 3D at one point. Then there was talk about reformatting it for IMAX or whatever. Discussions keep happening, but I think something will happen fairly soon. They know that people have a fondness for it. They don't know exactly how to deal with that beyond maybe a Blu-ray or something like that. And I keep saying, you know, you did it for The Wizard of Oz, and you did it for Blade Runner. I think you can actually do it. And I think they're kind of coming around to that idea. I'm trying to find the best way to support something like that. End all quotes. So, Matt, would you like to see Iron Giant re-released In IMAX, or possibly 3D? Hmm. No. But why? (laughs) (laughs) Um, now, don't, don't misunderstand. It's not because I don't think Iron Giant is good. But I think it's, it's honestly because... Iron Giant, the story that Iron Giant told, for the time that it told it... In the time that it was shown, um, I think is best is best remembered fondly as something that was enjoyed then, and is not something that needs to be re-released in theaters. Um, now, especially in things like IMAX 3D or anything like that. Now, that's not to say that um, intimate screenings at small, like a River Oaks theater screening or something like that. I would that those those kinds of things that that would be fine, but. Especially as someone who discovered Iron Giant on DVD like 13 years ago, my experience with it is in the home format. And I and it's something that is a story that is worth enjoying um, in, a, in a more intimate setting. And no, it's not because I'm ashamed to bawl my ever-fucking-eyes out in public... You just want to do it in your underwear. I I just want to do it in my underwear on my couch (laughs) instead of in IMAX. Yeah, after Pinocchio, that was the second movie I ever cried at in in a movie theater. Superman. All right, well, this is my last bit of news here. Um, From comicbook.com, by way of Jamie Lovett. Hugh Jackman confirms Wolverine 3 will be his last time as character. That's right, folks. It is now 100% official. Hugh Jackman has officially confirmed that the third Wolverine movie will be his last time playing the role that he has owned in the X-Men film franchise. Quote, 
This will be my last one, end quote, Jackman said, point blank, when asked about it on the Dr. Oz show. Now, my immediate question here is, why the hell is he on Dr. Oz? Why is anybody watching Dr. Oz? Why is anybody on that show? Why is that show still on the air? Um, please help me out in understanding that. But um, mo moving along. <clears throat> Jackman continues, quote, it is my last time. It just felt like it was the right time to do it. And let's be honest, 17 years. I never thought in a million years it would last. So I'm grateful to the fans for the opportunity of playing it. I kind of have in my head what we're going to do in this last one. It just feels like this is the perfect way to go out. And all quotes there. Um, the article does go on to say that it still leaves it unclear whether or not he'll be making an appearance in X-Men Apocalypse, which opens before the next Wolverine. But he hasn't been seen on set in Montreal so far. That being said, I know we've kind of discussed it in other articles. They're pretty much just trying to focus on an 80s version of the cast. Um, we get to see uh, James McAvoy being bald now for a change. And in an interesting side note, as I digress on this weird path, um, in X-Men um, First Class, James McAvoy is actually wearing a wig because he didn't know that he, w he was not supposed to be bald. And so he shaved his head and then was like, oh, so this is like before he lost his hair. And um, yeah. And that's my news. <laughs> you said that so sad like Eeyore you know <laughs> thanks for noticing <laughs> alrighty so this is going to be a quick uh, little two-parter here for me um, Matt do comment at the end or applause at the end whichever whichever you'd like uh, first one pertaining to the California Film Commission uh, and the tax incentives Yes, I'm going to start with the boring one first. This is from DeadlineHollywood.com, or just even Deadline.com, because I think it's just Deadline.com and not Deadline Hollywood. And it says this from April 29, 2015. So this is a little kind of older news, but oh well, still, still pertains, still relevant. You can almost taste the optimism this morning. At the California Film Commission breakfast, the 10th annual California Film Commission breakfast, this was a few weeks ago, Amy Lemish, the executive director of the California Film Commission, spoke, and she was very optimistic about the upcoming tax incentives for filmmakers in Los Angeles. Uh, and this is from the Deadline article here. Quote, she gave a brief overview of the new incentives package and urged producers to apply online starting May 1st. She said that the old lottery system... And yes, there used to be a lottery system involving these tax incentives where they would just randomly pick out a production and those productions would be getting the incentives, not everyone. She said that the old lottery system, which ended this year, dished out $800 million in tax credits since its inception in 2009, generating $6 billion in aggregated direct spending in the state. That's expected to more than triple under the new program, which state and local film officials hope finally will stem the flow of runaway projects. Or excuse me, runaway productions. Now, just how important 
tax incentives are to keep production in the state was laid out by the production team behind last year's Nightcrawler, who took part in a panel discussion. Writer-director Dan Gilroy and producers Jennifer Fox and David Lancaster explained that they couldn't have shot the film in L.A. without the tax credits. For low-budget films like Nightcrawler, Gilroy said, quote, The financing perimeters are so tight that the tax credit is the difference between whether you shoot in L.A. or not, end quote. Gilroy also said that he couldn't believe how many members of his crew told him that they hadn't worked on a film in L.A. in years. One crew member told him it had been five years. Another one said eight. Quote, it's incredible that it's become rare to shoot in Los Angeles, end quote, the filmmaker said. Hopefully, that will change when producers get a taste of the new tax incentives. Uh, and I will say that my uncle, who is a prop master... About a year ago, he had to move to Atlanta, Georgia, because he couldn't get any prop master gigs in L.A. And the thing about uh, working on a movie or TV show just out in L.A., you're, you, it's unionized. So you can only work in your department. So if you want to be a prop master, you can't find prop master work. You can't go and be a shop foreman or anything like that. You have to work within your union, and specifically in the position that you have your union card for. And lastly, really quick from io9.com, even Hollywood has some major doubts about Warner Brothers' DC movie verse. And this is kind of a lengthy, not necessarily a lengthy article, but it's summarizing a Hollywood Reporter article, which goes on and talks about how uh, how people all around, universally, aren't too jazzed about how uh, DC is handling their superhero movies. But here's the short version of why WB seems to be going about a DC cinematic universe all wrong. And again, this is from io9.com, quoting The Hollywood Reporter. In the early going, some in Hollywood are questioning whether Warners has acted too much in haste without having fleshed out the world on which so much hinges. Grumbling among talent reps came especially in response to the studio's strategy of hiring five writers to compete for a job on Wonder Woman, which has a June 2017 release date. Hiring five different people to write five different scripts, not to work together, but to see who makes the best one, may not seem that problematic, but it does indicate a troubling lack of direction, especially given that the movie is due in two years. On Aquaman, set for 2018, sources say that Warners commissioned scripts from three writers, one of whom followed the studio's direction only to be told that the rules governing the universe had changed and his work no longer was usable. But it appears that even once WB has decided something, there's a decent chance that the studio execs may change their minds again. That's definitely not good. Another writer has been on hold for the film for months as the studio works to define its vision. They just haven't been thorough about their whole world and how each character fits and how to get the most out of each writer's time by giving them direction, says a rep with knowledge of the process. Obviously, Marvel's very good at that. Matt, any comments, questions, or concerns for either of these two pieces of news? Thank you for clapping. It took me a while to get through it, but, you know, it was a feat. (laughs) 
Is that why you're clapping? I think maybe. No, you said to either say something or applause at the end. I chose to applause at the end. Oh, did I say applause? You did. Did I? You did. Sometimes I said comment or question or concerns. No, no, no. Did Before I? you started the articles, you said please comment at the end, Matt. Comment at the end or applaud or whatever. Oh. So. Oh, and okay. And then you did your articles, and so now I've applauded. Oh. Good job. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> Um, no, I I don't know. It, it's um, we're we're yeah. We may need to come back to those articles so we can really actually talk about them a little bit more because they're going to be more in depth than we have time for today. So we'll just stick with the applause, golf clap. <clears throat> Which uh, in podcasting that probably sounded like wanking or something, right? Oh yeah, oh it's going, oh it's so good. Ah, ah, ah. Oh, man, that's one tiny penis sound. <laughs> well, I thought we were talking about my small cocktail weenie like a week or two ago. I can't... Right? Oh, and it. then we were talking about watching Iron Giant in your underwear and crying. <laughs> and I guess we'll throw in eating uh, cocktail weenies. And... No, that's terrible. That's terrible. All right. Well, that does go ahead and conclude the news and bring us to... Discussions with Matt and Tim. This time on Discussions with Matt and Tim, Matt and Tim discuss the BuzzFeed article, 24 movies you probably missed this year, but should totally see. And now, Discussions with Matt and Tim. Yeah, so like, uh, yeah, like, like was just announced. Um, this is from BuzzFeed and, um, uh, it's an article, Allison Wilmore and Adam B. Very, um, co-wrote this article. It was from December of last year and, uh, we have been covering them just in case you hadn't noticed over the last few weeks, we have been filling in the gaps. Now, um, we're just pretty much going to talk about the article as a whole. We want to just like bang down the line and just, you know, like it, not like it, or talk whoa, about the highs and whoa. the lows or banging down the line. <laughs> Man, I just can't seem to get away from the double entendres here. I know. I mean, I am glad your wife supports your decision to, to, to take on that endeavor. Hey, you know, that's how you keep a marriage strong after 15 years together. You know what I mean? You bang it down the line. That's right. That's right. Uh, yes, we shall bang it down the line. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now, the movies are not ranked or anything. Um, if if anything else, they're just in alphabetical order. So we're just going to go right through them. Um, actress. Worth watching. In, in, in general. Agreed. You, yes. You, you, okay. You, yeah, you gave it a three and a half. I gave it a one and a half. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's um, that's the one that where it's kind of like the cinema verite style, where uh, there's there's kind of a fine line between documentary making a documentary, making a film with just a lot of narrative and mood, which still can kind of be a documentary. So very interesting, very interesting for sure. All right. Okay, let's see. Next up, Blue Ruin. Now, it's been a while since we've talked about Blue Ruin. Um, and so we actually talked about this back in episode 106. 
I gave it a 4, you gave it a 3.75. So I, I'm thinking that one was definitely worth watching. And then, of course, now we have uh, Calvary, which we watched pretty recently. This was uh, episode 120, and we both gave this one four and a half stars. Um, I know we, we were high marks for cinematography and subject matter. And Brennan Gleason, who's always great. Yes, it was definitely really, really good. Uh, Citizen Four. Now, this was when one one of those we were covering for our um, Oscars. So we definitely did discuss this one back in February for episode one thirteen. Uh, you definitely enjoyed it more than I did. I gave it three and a half stars. I really wasn't overly impressed, but uh, you gave it four and a half stars. Um, I don't know. Do do you do you still stand by that? Have you watched it again since? Um, no, I haven't, but, you know, I've, I've thought about it, uh, a lot, and I think when a movie, especially when a documentary, uh, like this just kind of, like, sticks with you months after watching it, and you can still go back and reflect on it, you know, I, I think it, I think it means a lot, you know, regarding of, uh, or regardless of, you know, uh, not necessarily the quality of the movie, because I thought the quality of the movie was really good. And though I really don't agree with some of the stuff that was going on with the movie, I still think it's 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 good. You know, he's definitely a good character, I should say. So, yeah, no, I, I still highly recommend it. And I'm actually looking forward to Oliver Stone's movie with uh, J- Joseph Gordon-Levitt playing him. Yeah, I don't I don't think that one's going to be anything like the documentary. <laughs> movie making can't compete with real make, life I'm, yeah, I'm gonna that? go out on a limb and make a prediction here <laughs> that the Oliver Stone movie is not gonna be like the documentary alright next up then Dear White People now we just covered this one a few weeks ago for episode 123 this one got a 3.25 across the board and something that uh, I found out today actually um, I was just doing some random reading and somehow decided to look up um uh rotten tomatoes on wikipedia and i was looking over looking through the article it turns out that uh, that the aggregate scoring system uh for 60% fresh that that's their you know threshold of fresh is 60% um when compared against a five star rating system and they actually this is what their staff does their staff has to actually go through and and read all of these articles and reviews and then especially um against a numbering system where they have a numbering system or a letter grade system because apparently um their computers just aren't that cool yet which is good hey people people need jobs <laughs> um, no seriously i mean I, hey, so is that is that how you know you have a really you know fantastic computer if it's cool I guess yes. If it if it uh, makes you obsolete, your your computer. Well, your computer's got to be cool because it's cooler than you if it makes you obsolete. But um, no, the um, in order to reach that threshold of fresh against a five star system, it would have to be a three point five out of five. So according to our rating system, dear white people would not be fresh. Ooh. Hmm. It's three point two five. Now this is of course the social study, if you will, on race relations at a college, but it's definitely supposed to be a a microcosm of how 
race is treated in society today. And while it definitely does, I think we both agree here that while it definitely does a lot of things right, um, it definitely didn't do everything right. Yeah, it definitely, it, it claims to be on both sides of the subject, but it's obvious that it stands firm on one particular side. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. I'm, I'm right, aren't I? I mean, didn't no, you no, get that no. as well? I, yes, yeah. I definitely would agree that it comes yeah. down more on one side than the other. Um, but to its credit, I won't say that even, that the other side. It wasn't just lip service. They they there was a, a real attempt to make yeah. both sides of the argument. Um, all right, next up, Elaine Stritch, shoot me. Um, also episode 123, this one came in, uh, 4.25 for me and a five star for you. The only thing that really kept it from being five star for me was that it's the documentary kind of didn't, didn't seem to know what it wanted to be and kind of shifted formats, um, and tried to, to tell more than one story about Elaine Stritch. So... That was really the biggest thing that kept it from being five stars. That's it's still a great movie, and obviously Tim gave it five stars. Uh, and you know what? I I can't argue with him on that at all. Um, so if you haven't seen it yet, what the hell's the matter with you? Go see that movie, right, Tim? That's right. It's on Netflix Instant. You have no excuse not to see it. It's Unless, fun. Of course, for some reason they don't have Netflix. Oh, yeah. Well, if you're that 1% who... <laughs> yeah, more or less. All right, so next up, Enemy. Now, it's been uh, a little bit more recently here that we that we did this. So this was um, episode 118. I gave it 3.75, and Tim gave it 4.25. And um, this is the... Um, one with Jake Gyllenhaal, who basically uh, discovers that doppelgangers aren't exactly a good thing. <laughs> um, it's a really interesting movie, and I don't necessarily—I was harder on it than Tim was, but I personally, even now, I don't think—I I don't think I was wrong to be harder on it than he was necessarily. Um, what do you think, Tim? You you still standing strong with the oh whole for sure um, I haven't watched it again I watched it twice before we reviewed it and it's definitely one of those movies that festers in your mind uh, for you know a, at least a week I think after you watch it like I mean if you enjoyed the movie or found it interesting or uh, was kind of going along with the flow with it you know there's a lot to think about and there's a lot to analyze and when a movie can pull that off. Even as well as as Enemy did, um, I, it's worth it for sure. I mean, it's it's a really good movie. I mean, a lot of thought went into the making of the movie, and a lot of talent went into the making of the movie. And though it's not absolutely perfect, I think this is one that over time you might actually enjoy more, or learn to appreciate more, or or I should maybe not learn to appreciate, but just appreciate more, and therefore uh, you'll find your experience more. I guess, accepting. So this can be one that maybe we can revisit in, I don't know, 300 more episodes or something. All right. Let's see here. So next up on the list is Force Majeure. Now, this is the Swedish movie that um, 
takes place on the Alps. The avalanche comes down and dad kind of abandons the family. <laughs> and then uh, the rest of the movie more or less deals with the fallout from that. Um, this is one movie where I gave it a 4. Tim gave it a 3.5. Um, so definitely reaches that fresh threshold. Um, so I'm thinking, yeah, you should probably see that movie, right? I think so, though I think this doesn't cater towards, you know, uh, the, the broad, this isn't, this isn't for the broad general movie going public, I guess, because it's definitely slower moving, the, the slower paced, there's not a whole lot going on, and it's one of those character-driven movies where there's not a lot of dialogue, and it can get it can feel a little bit pretentious without being obviously pretentious, if that makes any sense. But it's still it's it's a very interesting topic, and for those that are interested in the movie but do not like slow movies, uh, I guess good news would be they're making an American doing an, um, an American version of the movie, which I think would benefit the story and it transitioning to a more, uh, to an, an American audience. And hopefully they'll improve on the qualities that I didn't really care for too much in the movie. Fair. But well, fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well then that uh, takes us to a girl walks home alone at night. And this of course is the, um, uh, credited more Iranian, but still basically an American, uh, de- uh, filmmaker debut of Anna Lily Amapur and her ultra hip black and white vampire story. Um, I gave this one 4.75 and Tim gave it 4.25. So this one pretty much comes standard as a uh, you should see this movie. Yeah, for sure. It's it's a cool movie. Uh, I think I said that the first ha- half of the movie just lays a fantastic foundation, but then the second half fails to really, you know, uh, use that foundation as a launch pad to propel itself to another level. But uh, other than that, I mean, it's it's great. I think it's beautifully shot and beautifully acted and composed. All right. Well, then let's see here. Next up, the guest. Yeah. For those of you who are wondering what happened to Matthew after he left uh, Downton Abbey, well, he became a super soldier. An American. (laughs) An American super soldier, yes. (laughs) Uh, We covered this one on episode 120, and uh, it's got a 3.75 across the board. So definitely a fun, entertaining thriller movie, uh, but obviously uh, lacks in certain areas. Uh, where I would definitely still recommend you see it. You're in for a good time. It's, but it's it's not the best movie in the world either. Yeah, it's a fun it's a fun genre movie for sure. All right, moving along. Then we've got the immigrant, and let's see here. It's the 2013 version. Naturally, uh, we covered this on episode 86. Um, I was definitely not as impressed with this movie as Tim was. I uh, was two and a half for me, two and a half stars for me, four stars for Tim. This is, of course, the one with Marianne Cotillard. Um, it gave her her uh, Academy Award win. This is with uh, Joaquin Can- Phoenix. Nomination. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, she got nominated for the award. And basically kind of a... 
I don't know, blase kind of love story with a um w- with a lot more it had a lot more going for it than was ultimately brought out in the execution of it for me. Now, this movie is still okay. Um but I think I think this movie is personally I just don't think it's for everybody. I, I don't. And Tim obviously enjoyed it more than I did, so... Well, no, yeah, I just think it's one of those movies where there's a lot to like about the movie. Um, and there's obviously faults with the movie. And there's a lot of flaws to it. But I think uh, with with the acting from uh, from uh, uh, Cotillard and um, Joaquin Phoenix, you know, that kind of... That, that buffered some of the negativity a little bit. So I was able to look past it and really enjoy the, 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 the pleasure, not the pleasure, <laughs> enjoy the little golden nuggets of entertainment that the good portions of the movie had to offer. So I, I still stand by that for maybe, maybe more of a 3.75. Jordowski's Dune. Now I uh, did, did we, we didn't cover this. I know we've both no, seen it, but yeah, we watched this one separately. I don't have this one. Yeah, no, we never talked about it on the show. Okay, we never watched it for the show, but we've both seen this movie. Right. Okay, I think we need to get this onto the show list here, Tim. We need to cover this film. This film is holy shit outstanding um, for me. I would definitely, I mean, just off the top of my head, because uh, it's been, it has definitely been a full year since I've seen it. Um, but God, the visuals, the, I mean, still blows my I mean, it would easily be four stars. I would have to, I mean, because um, I'd have to watch it again to make sure I could give it the full five stars. But I would tell anybody to watch this movie. Yeah, it's a really good movie. Just my thing with it that I think Jodorowsky... I mean, we'll talk more about it whenever we actually review the movie, but the whole thing with uh, with Dune, his version of Dune, which uh, David Lynch ended up making the movie in the early 80s, is that it was going way over budget, and he was saying yes to a promising... A lot of stuff to people, which he couldn't really follow through with any of those promises. And I I just think that really the reason why this movie didn't get made was ultimately his fault. And he kept putting the blame on other people and not necessarily himself. And to me, that was kind of a character flaw that was a little, little too... Uh, I, I guess a little distracting for me, but I think it's still fantastic. I mean, God, his vision was phenomenal. Easily would have been one of the best sci-fi movies ever made. So it's a really good documentary. Would, I think it would have given um, 2001 a run for its money. God, could you imagine what Star Wars would have been if this movie had come out before <laughs> Star Wars? I mean, seriously, it would have changed the landscape. People, I mean, people might be thinking of Dune the way people think of Lucasfilm today and Star Wars today. It's insane. Anyway, all right, next up. Don't worry, folks. We're halfway through the list. Locke. And this, of course, is the Tom Hardy flick that's uh, all from point of view virtually, just a single shot of him driving from uh, uh, on his way to London from a a work site where he has to deal with a... um, an indiscretion, shall we say. And he does it all from his car and via his Bluetooth. Uh, very reminiscent of Buried, um, but still two completely different movies. Um, with Locke, I th- I definitely enjoyed it more than Tim did. I gave it four and a half stars. Tim gave it three and a half. Um, 
I would say don't miss it. Definitely check it out. It does have a few flaws to to it, obviously, because it's not a five-star movie. I don't think there's been a five-star movie for me yet this year. But um, Tim obviously took more issues with it. What what do you think there, sir? It just started feeling a little bit repetitive, and, and, and it, it, it became stale. Though the performances in the film are, are fantastic, and I do think that... Um, having these kind of movies, kind of like an experimental movies, are, are very important, you know, uh, to have. So I think it's definitely worth watching. It's, it's. I mean, I mean, I gave it three and a half, so it's still a good movie. And even just for Tom Hardy's acting ability, you know, it's worth checking out. So I recommend it for sure. Right on. Okay, and next up, Love is Strange. Now, this is one that we're going to be discussing in greater detail here shortly. Uh, but the short of it is, spoiler alert, three and a half stars for me. Um, it's a good movie, and I would say watch it, but it's definitely... Uh, and again, I'll get into it later, but it's it's definitely got some couple of glaring issues for me, so... Great performances. I mean, it's a good story for sure, but the movie relied on the power, the, the the good performances in the story way too much, and really didn't develop anything else within the movie. Probably three and a half or three point seven five for me. Fifteen on the list is Obvious Child. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Um, this one we covered just a, just two episodes ago, um, episode one twenty five. Um, I gave it three and a half stars. Tim gave it four and a half stars. I found that while the characters were good and the film definitely has some interesting um, ground to cover, I felt that there there was still there, there wasn't enough development for it for me to really get it from the threshold of liking it and having a solid movie to really pushing it into that upper echelon. So that was where my three and a half star came from. And of course, more detail. If you want to go back and listen to 125. what about you, Tim? Yeah. Still, just... still, still feeling strong with your four and a half. Oh, sure. No, this was uh, the biggest surprise for me. Movie wise uh, on this list. I wasn't expecting to like it a couple minutes into it. And then it just grew into a totally different experience. It's it's funny, it's sweet, it's very much unexpected. I I mean, just go back and listen to our reviews for it. It's good. We're gonna speeding things up so that we can actually talk about all of our movies here this evening. Oh yes, um, the one I love. All right, now we covered this one uh, also back in and uh, back in December proper. Uh, Episode 106. I gave it three stars. Tim gave it four. This is the one about the married couple who gets sent off to a kind of a couple's retreat thing, but then weird shit starts happening. Um, I obviously I liked the movie, but I felt pretty strongly that the characters, while interesting, were the situation itself was just not. Um, it was it was relying too much on the situation to drive the movie instead of a good marriage, <laughs> no pun intended, of the characters and the story to really bring the whole thing home. Only Lovers Left Alive, the other vampire flick on this list. 
Uh, let's see here. I gave that one two and a half, and Tim gave it four point two five. Um, I really felt that the personally, I felt that the actors did a great job, but just the story was way too all over the place and not good enough for me. Tim, however, clearly felt differently. Care to expound with your four point two five, sir? I gave it two and a half. Tim gave it four point two five. Yeah, I, I like this one a lot. I thought it was a good story. As Jim Jarmusch, as I've talked about him way too much the past few weeks, he's a minimalist. So story-wise, not a whole lot happens, but there's a lot of character depth to it, and I enjoyed watching it. I hold strong with my four-point whatever star rating. <laughs> okay, next up, Pride. 2014 uh, film there. This one, of course, is the Coal Strike and the lesbian and gay activists who all and they end up basically coming together um, to help bring this plight to light and all of the fun things that go into that. Um, I gave it uh, three and a half stars. Tim gave it 3.75. And needless to say, you should probably check this one out. Uh, 19, The Skeleton Twins. Oh, yay, The Skeleton Twins. All right. 2.25 for me, 3.5 for Tim. This is, again, one where I really felt that the characters... On a technical level, I think that the movie does well. I just think that these people... The people they portrayed weren't worth showing, is really what boiled it, is really what it boiled down for to me. They're really kind of despicable people. <laughs> um... Maybe that would have been a very, the Despicable Twins. Uh, but you gave it a 3.5. What, what, what makes it watchable for you, sir? Bill Hader's performance is worth checking out for sure. Uh, he is definitely the more accomplished actor than Kristen Wiig. I mean, I'm pretty sure Kristen Wiig has been in more stuff than Bill Hader. But his performance is is definitely more grounded and honest. Kristen Wiig's character, not so much. You really don't care for her or really feel bad for her at all. Snowpiercer. Now this one we covered, like, right away. <laughs> uh, we covered this one back in July of last year, episode 84. I gave it a 4. Tim gave it a 4.25. He clearly we clearly we both like this movie and it's a post apocalyptic thriller thriller. Uh it takes place on a train where uh it it in and of itself as this train kind of endlessly circles the globe, it becomes a microcosm of the class system in life. And of course it stars Chris Evans who decides to go from the back of the train to the head of the train. And it's got some really interesting story concepts, great, uh, good special effects, and just an outstanding, just a great story, awesome characters. Uh, it does have, a, it, it's not a perfect film, but definitely a highly enjoyable film. Also on Netflix, I just saw that again, that it is on Netflix, so feel free to check that one out. Starred Up, um, again, uh, let's see, we got this one here in September of last year, episode 94, and same scores. I gave it a 4, Tim gave it a 4.25. This one, of course, is the um, same guy who was from Unbroken is in this film, and he's the... Um, oh, it's a prison. Yeah, he's a, he's a young prison kid, and he ends up in the same prison as his dad. 
So lots of great character study going on here. Very, very good drama. Uh, let's see here. Then we've got We Are the Best. Woo! We are the best. She talked now, about just, like last week. Yes, we just covered it last week. So, so go 4. back and 2. listen 2. to 5. it. Yeah, <laughs> 4.25 across the board on that one. Definitely the girls carry that movie. We, we agree that the girls are the best part of that movie. Uh, last but not least, What If, also the, known as the F word, also covered last week. Um, I gave it four stars. Tim gave it 3.75. So you should probably see it. Right, Tim? I agree. It's a neat little okay. romantic. Oh, and I lied. I'm Come sorry. On. I lied. I lied. There's one more. There's one more. Whiplash. This is the last of the list. Whiplash, number 24. Uh, we covered this back in February, episode 114. Of course, this was part of the Oscars, where I dumbfounded Tim. Uh, I gave it a two-star rating, and he gave it 4.75. Um, and I would say, just to... And this, of course, is the one with J.K. Simmons... Um, and oh what's the Miles Teller Miles Teller yeah yeah um we uh you know these two guys are basically I felt one in the same character with needless one-upsmanship however uh clearly their performances were powerful as noted by the Oscar nominations all the press the movie going crazy um and Tim giving it a 4.75 rating I would say, if nothing else, you should see this movie just to see, you know, is Tim and is Matt insane? Is Tim just loving it too much? You know, that that's that's how I would look at it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Although, as a quick comment on this article itself, uh, though I think it was a good bunch of movies, but I'm kind of surprised that. The like, uh, well, I think we both enjoyed the Congress, uh, kind of the same amount, uh, but I know we both definitely enjoyed the trip to Italy, uh, and I uh, enjoyed more so than you the Zero Theorem. I'm just kind of surprised those three didn't make it on this list, or they just didn't tack on three more movies to, yeah, why not make it 27? Clearly, you've already made it 24, which is kind of a weird number, but I <laughs> <laughs> guess maybe they just wanted two dozen, I don't know. Uh, 12 movies for each person, I guess, who was part of the thing. Um, and as much as I hate to admit it, I guess here's the exception that proves the rule. BuzzFeed actually came up with a pretty decent article. I hate BuzzFeed, but whatever. We got to see some interesting movies out of the deal, so. Thus concludes another episode of Discussions with Matt and Tim. Next week, there will be a discussion but not an actual discussions with Matt and Tim on the legacy of Mad Max, as all of the Mad Max films will be covered next week. Thank you again for listening to Discussions with Matt and Tim. All right, folks, there you go. You heard it from the man himself, crazy announcer guy. So that leaves us with... The movies. All right, so we've got Love is Strange, The Kingdom of Dreams and Madness, which is the documentary on Studio Ghibli and Hayao Miyazaki. And then finally, 
2014's Left Behind. Where do you want to start, sir? How about Love is Strange? Okay. Uh, And this is, again, one that we covered here just on that list. And, you know, yeah. So, okay. Let's see here. 2014, Love is Strange, 2014 French-American drama film directed by Iris Sachs, and it stars Alfred Molina, John Lithgow, and Marisa Tomei. Uh, John Lithgow and Alfred Molina star as Ben and George. They are a same-sex couple from Manhattan, and after 39 wonderful years together, they decide to get married. George is a Catholic uh, school teacher. He teaches music. And now, they've been living together all this time. I guess clearly everybody was pretty much in on the joke, so to speak. Um, But the second that they went and made it all official with the marriage, um, the school decides that they have a problem with it. And they fire George rather unceremoniously. And without that income, the... Uh, they, they they find themselves having to immediately move apart because they cannot afford to stay in the apartment that they've lived in for all these years. Um, ben ends up going with his nephew, nephew's wife and their kids and stuff. Um, George ends up going with some cops who live in the same building. And at that point, you you're now having kind of this character study of these two people who have been together for so long and now that they're finally able to really bring their relationship to the next truly truly next level they're now separated and on top of which you kind of have this secondary dynamic juxtaposed with the first where now you've got these people who are older set in their ways and are having to live with people who do not fit their lifestyles at all Now, I guess for me, what really pulls this, what really hurts this movie for me is the actual scenario. Because it's something that that is almost sitcom esque in its plot execution. And yet, it takes a serious look at what can happen and and could literally happen in today's day and age but the thing that really sets with me most is make sure you have your retirement set up i mean i just really felt that writing this good and directing this good and characters and actors who are this good do not need to be wasted on such a I outlandish is the best word that I have at the moment because I don't want to go on forever um, on such an outlandish scenario and I just I had I had trouble believing it the whole time but the characters are awesome the writing for the for the actual dialogue and the exposition in and of itself is outstanding Iris Axe does do does do a great job of directing but the the whole plot itself just felt like a device instead of a natural narrative. So three and a half stars. What do you got, Tim? 
Yeah, this is definitely a three and a half star movie for me as well. Um, I agree with what what Matt is saying for the most part. This is a film that ha- that stands on one leg, and that leg would be the performances and the touching story, because it's it's a, these characters are lovely. You know, it's kind of fun watching uh, these characters be all romantic, and and you truly see the relationship. Uh, blossom during such a really kind of crappy part of their of their life or, or time of their life i guess when they get married finally they achieve probably the one goal like th- their ultimate goal in life is to you know be recognized as a couple and then they then they have to immediately split apart like what matt was saying but the movie doesn't really move on too much from there you have the story you have the characters you know what's great about the characters now move forward, and it doesn't. It just kind of moves along the same line. Yet, it's still worthy of 3.5, again, because the movie is touching. It's mainly the characters themselves are done and portrayed so well. There aren't enough good scenes that feature Alfred Molina and John Lithgow together, which would have done more justice to the film. I think this movie was trying to be more story driven than character driven you this is definitely should have been more of a character driven film um especially for the ending to work because you have like the shitty circumstance that this beautiful couple are in and then the ending is thrown at you it was done in bad taste you know like it was more of a cop out or or more of a tactic an obvious tactic but still Movie is 3.5 in my book. (laughs) Very good. All right, so where do you want to go next, sir? Left Behind or Kingdom of Dreams and Madness? Oh, no, we're we're Left Behind is going to be left for last. (laughs) So, (laughs) fair enough. All right, so this is the 2013 documentary on uh, Hayao Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli. It also additionally follows Toshio Suzuki and Isayo Takahata. Um, this is, comes to us from writer-director Mami Sunada, and she uh, follows them over the course of a year while they're trying to put out a couple of different movies. Now, naturally, if you are even remotely a fan of this film, you're going to want to see it because uh, you're, just to kind of get an idea, a true glimpse into the... Uh, a truer glimpse, not the truest glimpse, into, this, into the style of these people... Um, and the way that they create the work that they create and bring it to the viewer is something that is really interesting. And on top of that, naturally, it's going to be just ridiculously beautiful. I mean, it's kind of like the anime version of Yuro Dreams of Sushi. So, hey, whatever you got to do. That being said, I didn't really find myself liking or disliking any these people any more than I already did. Um, and I would have... I would have liked to have seen more insights into the real personalities behind these people. And that's why I say that that you get a truer view into it, but not the truest view. So I think fans of this film are going to love it. If you're not, I'm sorry, if, if you're fans of Miyazaki or of Studio Ghibli, clearly you're going to want to see this movie. If you're not, it's still something that's interesting, but approach it somewhat cautiously 3.5 stars for me here 
Yeah, I like this one a little bit more. I the 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 one complaint I had was that the movie was uh it was a little too long. Um it felt like it was a little drawn out. But as I was writing that down after I watched the movie, I immediately crossed it out because I was worried that if you shorten the movie, you would run the risk of tarnishing its beauty because the movie does such a the documentary does such a good job at capturing you know the moments or the nuances of Miyazaki and the inspiration of his work you know uh, of like how he puts himself into his characters and there are just these great moments where you get to experience what he is thinking and how he analyzes the culture how he analyzes life and how he goes about making his films and yeah it would have been cool to see more of like a, a i guess more of like the behind the scenes and the process of how he makes the movie but i think with this you get a little bit more and in a way i think it's more important than watching just a like a behind the scenes type of documentary or the a making of documentary because you see and you get to understand more of his thought process and because of who he is and what kind of work he makes it's it's special because there aren't a lot of minds like his that are as open and receptive to uh to i to i guess a person making a documentary of him if that makes any sense whatsoever 4.5 i highly recommend it it's a special little documentary a special one very good all right and then last and certainly least this time around um left behind the 2014 American apocalyptic thriller. It's directed by Vic Armstrong. It's based on the novel of the same name by Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins. And stars Nicolas Cage, Chad Michael Murray, Cassie Thompson, Nikki Whelan, and Jordan Sparks. And uh, very briefly, Leah Thompson, who was definitely the smartest person said yeah sure i'll take some money for one scene where at least i can act and then get out <clears throat> left behind i think also is the knowledge or at least the willingness of nicholas cage to admit that he wears hair pieces because man is this one bad all right um this movie is basically um nicholas play N- nicholas cage good lord plays a dad by the name of Rayford Steele. Uh, he's basically thinking about cheating on his wife, who has turned into a Jesus freak by his and his daughter's standards, Chloe. Um, and then the rapture happens. For those of you who are not familiar with Bible culture, um, basically, before the end of the world, it is the the most readily accepted theologic standard that 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 uh the that God will rapture all of the Christians and then the the sinners are going to be left to deal with the antichrist and all that kind of stuff. So that's the kind of the tack that the books take and thus that this movie takes as well. Um in then the rapture does occur and now you've got Chloe on the ground trying to get home and Rayford in the air trying to get home cuz you know you got planes that you know, all those kind of stuff that planes without pilots and yada 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 um 
This movie for me is a zero star movie that gets one star. And do you know why it gets one star? Because it's so goddamn bad, it's funny. You know what needs to be raptured? This movie. The existence of this movie. That's what needs to be that's what needs to be raptured. We need to be left behind from this film. It is so fucking bad that it's good. Like I cannot tell you how many times the music is like trying to gear you up towards you know making you feel something but then you remember that the room has a better score or they're like the girl who just went off on a tear about how God is bad and, and, and everything like that and, and God isn't real and everything is then listening to Christian music in her car because that makes sense. Um, and then you find out that Jordan Sparks, the winner, you know, from like American Idol from like 10 fucking years ago, whatever. Um, yeah, she can't act either. And and you've got like this little scene on the plane. And this is supposed to be like some seven, you know, 747 kind of thing that's going from wherever the fuck they are in Atlanta or some shit going to London. And it's only got like 60 people in it because clearly they couldn't um, afford a budget to actually fill a plane. Oh, yeah. And how about <clears throat> that crowd at JFK Airport? Whoo, man. Oh, yeah. Or, <laughs> or how about how about the flight crew? The entire flight crew consisting of two people, right? Isn't that great? <laughs> yeah, two fucking <laughs> uh, flight attendants, right? Or the, that retro seventies retro cockpit they were in. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. Let me tell you. Um, so it, it it is it is terrible, terrible movie. You will laugh at just how bad it is. And I would recommend, like, if you're good with riff tracks or, like, an MST3K kind of thing, I would encourage you to try and do that with this film. If nothing else, you can just sit back and have a laugh at something you're not supposed to be laughing at. So it's a zero-star movie that gets one star for me. All right, Tim. Four minutes. Ready? Go. Oh, oh, wait. I'm sorry. One more thing. Chad Michael Murray, fucking learn that you cannot have a beard. I swear to God, why did you have a patch of fucking hair missing on the side of your face the whole fucking time? Just shave. Shave. Do it now. Sorry, go ahead. Hi there. I'm Tim from the SLS cast, and I just want to say that I am not a religious man. But that doesn't matter, because I think the Christians even didn't like this movie. And what gets me is that the Christians didn't like this movie because it wasn't Christian enough. You gotta be fucking kidding me. I'll get to that in a second. So, yeah, Left Behind is such a poorly there, made no, movie. Wait, wait, no, 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 hang on. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't get to walk away from that statement. What? <laughs> yeah, no, I was doing some research, and I came across multiple articles from uh, Christian websites where uh, they try to make this movie appeal to both Christians and non-believers, and it pissed off the Christian community that they're saying that if they get enough money to make the sequel, they will go hardcore into making the movie more Christian friendly. Wow. Okay. I like, there's two quotes here that you can find in the Wikipedia article that are sourced. Paul Chambers, uh, who's apparently a Christian reviewer from moviechambers.com, says, quote, there are millions of Christians with average or above average intelligence. I'd like to think that I am one of them. So what possessed the makers of Left Behind to produce such an ignorant piece of garbage that's easily one of the worst films of 2014, if not all time? <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Shit's bad, folks. Shit's yeah. bad. Th- that's a so that's a Christian review. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's also bad when you could say that you would rather watch the Kirk Cameron one over this one, and you'd probably enjoy the Kirk Cameron one a little bit more. But yeah, no, the movie was so cheaply made. Uh, so this movie takes place virtually either in an airport or an airplane. And for the first 20 minutes or so, there are so many boring-ass conversations in the fucking airport terminal or whatever that I found myself watching the background actors and counting the number of times the same person just kind of walked back and forth in front of the camera. like, And, it's, and they were, like, walking the same way, and, like, they cast... Um, like very ordinary looking trailer trash type of people, you know, it, it was just very interesting. Nobody looked like a uh, New Yorker. It looked like you were watching something from backwoods, Alabama, the, the hooks airport of the Appalachian area, or if that makes any sense, I don't know. It was just crazy. So on the, so, okay. So they try to fit every type of person in this movie. So I think they were trying to reaching and hoping that, you know, that maybe somebody out there would find somebody to relate to. For example, there's a, a an angry midget on the plane, but there's also these deranged, crazy, goofy old people, an old couple on the plane. For one thing, if they were that, I mean, these are these are this, these are people like, oh, what, what what did you say? Oh, I thought that meant I was I thought I was on a cruise ship. Oh, are we on an airplane? How long's this flight gonna be? My bladder ain't gonna hold it all the way. What should I do? I don't like using them public bathrooms. I mean, I mean. That's not really what they said, but it's to that liking or dislike, actually. Very much disliked. It is ridiculous because you question why were these people on the plane? They didn't have a supervisor. And then when the rapture happens, the old goofy woman's husband gets taken away, but she was left on the plane. Why was she left on the plane? She was just as senile and as nice as her old husband. Why was she left behind? I don't understand. So it's goofy shit like that. And like I said, there is one of every type of character on the plane. There's the stupid old people. You got the angry midget. You got the huge, hefty black guy that you just want to hug. You have the underaged child actress, you know, the underage child, which causes some kind of emotional burst from a character throughout the movie. Good God, man. This crap was annoying. And yet, the complaints don't just end there. I've seen Lifetime movies that were more convincing than this film. You know? I mean, it was it was bad. It was like, not like an, an, an ordinary life, like a more modern Lifetime movie. Because, to be honest, an episode of the 1960s Star Trek felt more modern and up-to-date than this movie. The set, the Enterprise from the 1960s Star Trek felt more modern, looked more modern and up-to-date than this movie. Because like I said before, they're on a plane from the 1970s. At least the cockpit was from the 1970s. And you have this 1990s, very cheesy, feel-good TV show music. Like whenever, you know, you're meant to feel good, it is fucking cheesy and from the 90s. Honestly, I can see what direction they were trying to go or like what they were trying to take this movie but in order to pull off this type of movie in in order to successfully attempt the direction that they were trying to go you really need interesting and well-written dialogue 
as well as interesting visuals, cinematography, effects, to create a mood. And you really, really, really need good acting and good character writing. If they even had a premiere for this movie, I felt bad for the actors who who sat in that movie theater looking forward to seeing, you know, the Hollywood version of Left Behind. Finally, a bigger scope of, you know, Left Behind. Oh, I can't wait to see it. And you watch it, one minute into it, you completely regret ever deciding to go into filmmaking and acting. Every aspect of this film is horrible. Honestly, the last comment I made about this movie in my notes here really isn't a comment. But in big, bold letters, I wrote, I took up half my half my notepad here, religious propaganda, a line under through it, and then underneath it, I drew the swastika symbol. So, I can only compare this movie to Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> to to the Nazis. Uh, because every aspect of this film is absolutely horrible. Uh, it's religious propaganda. And I'm not saying that, you know, movies about religion, you know, like Heaven is for Real, for example. I'm not, I'm not dogging movies like that. But this movie is specifically geared t- with, uh, towards one agenda, hoping that that one agenda will make this movie not only convincing, but palatable. But you need more than that. You need more than it being religious. You know, the fact that, oh, it's a God-driven film, a faith-based film. No, you need fucking talent behind the goddamn movie to drive this home. Because this movie is not going to convince anybody to become religious, to become Christian, or whatever. And this is what this movie feels like it's trying to do. It is propaganda. And I fucking hate it. This movie, to me, deserves... To be zero fucking stars. So, along with Transformers, Age of Extinction, I give this religious propaganda piece of shit zero fucking stars. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I still stand by my unintentional hilarity, giving it a one star. Because I still hate this movie. I hate this movie. And it should be zero stars. But you can't laugh that hard for that long and, and and not give it like a pity something right <laughs> i mean i did laugh and you know i it was so i mean it, the movie is so bad that you can consider it it's so bad so good but just the pro i mean oh, seriously yeah. I, the I stuff will say, underneath i will it say me. it just to it is a slight defense to people of faith of any faith especially i if anybody if anything as someone who would who who believes in god but not necessarily the man who claims to represent him I would be offended, and most, I think, real true Christians should be offended that one Muslim guy happens to be on the plane, and then he's stuck there. Well, I mean, <laughs> what the fuck was that? I was like, damn, dude. Gauntlet throne? Question mark? Holy shit. <laughs> I would be pissed off just if nothing else just for that. So, um, and again, there were Christian reviewers out there who were seriously like this is not a fucking yeah um so i i just oh god wow okay well we are definitely over our limit this week so next week as was alluded to by funky announcer guy we're doing the entire mad max quadrilogy 
So we're going to do the original Mad Max, then Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, also known as just The Road Warrior. And then we've got Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. And then, of course, the movie that's coming out this weekend, Mad Max Fury Road. So we're going to be doing all four of those movies next week. Definitely very excited about that. So I think that brings us to the spiel, does it not, sir? Spiel on! All right. Well, the music you've been listening to for all of our segment intros has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. Uh, the exception to which, of course, is our discussions with Matt and Tim Music. That, of course, is, to, is provided to us by MuseOpen.org. We, of course, are still the SLS cast, and you can find us at SLSCast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. No emails this week, folks, so please feel free to send us one you can also follow us on twitter at the sls cast you can follow me this is matt on twitter at nitwit12345 you can also climb aboard the information superhighway and track down tim on twitter if you'd like to follow him as well and of course if you're feeling frisky you can follow us and subscribe to us on itunes and or stitcher radio so until next week with the most ironic comment of all time, courtesy of Lindsay Lohan, this is Matt getting to say this. My motto is, let, live every day to the fullest in moderation. Take care, guys, and prepare to hate left behind. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's good. Oh, it's so good. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. Remember that you can find us at slscast.com. At the SLS Cast for Twitter, also on Facebook, and you can only subscribe on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.